The Going Viral podcast from Health Ed shares the latest information on COVID-19 from authoritative voices and leading experts. You can find all episodes at healthed.com.au or if you're a registered health professional, you can listen on the Health Ed app as well as access many educational resources to support your professional development and practice. Hello and welcome to Health Ed's Going Viral. I am Dr. David Lim. It is Thursday, the 3rd of March. Associate Professor Nigel Crawford explains recent Ataji decisions and advice on developments that are crucial for your practice. He also discusses pediatric vaccination program, the extra measures to take to reduce the risk of an influenza and COVID known as the Fluorona twindemic and a close look at Novavax. Thanks, um, everybody, for having me present um, again today and, and the um, introduction. just want to first acknowledge the land that I'm on. I'm on the land of the Bunurong people and pay my respect to elders past, present and emerging. And always really important to think of our First Nation um, here in Australia when we're talking about vaccines and going to give you another vaccine update. So just a couple of topics I'm going to touch on. Uh, Novavax is obviously the new platform that, that's now available, which um, you will have seen. I just got a bit of information around that vaccine. What's coming up or happening around um, COVID vaccines, particularly in the paediatric space, and, and also what's next? Lots of questions now about the crystal ball, what's going to sort of come next um, in the next stage of the pandemic and, and how vaccines going to fit into that mix. I'll, I'll touch base on some of those issues. A little bit of interest, obviously, around long COVID and some of the longer-term effects, potentially, of um, SARS-CoV-2 infection, as well as thinking about a different vaccine, but really important to think about flu vaccine as well as we move into our winter and a bit of information for the listeners around that. So, uh, as always, let's give my declarations of interest. As mentioned, I'm the Director of um, Safety, the Victorian Vaccine Safety Service, and also the current Chair of Vitagi, but this presentation is my own views and not necessarily those of my affiliations. I have no industry declarations uh, to make. So moving on to, to Novavax, again, the Atagi statements coming out in terms of the use and, and the TGA provisionally approving um, this vaccine. I think the important you know, message for the listeners is that this vaccine has certainly been of interest for some people who've been waiting for a different platform. So we know our uptake with the primary doses is well over 90% for the majority of, um, of age groups. There have been some people who are waiting for a different um, platform to the mRNA, and uh, this is now available as part of the primary course vaccination. And, and more detail uh, on the Atagi statement, which many will have seen in the link below. But in terms of what's in the vaccine, it, it again, using obviously the spike protein as the main measurement of that immune response, over 40,000 individuals in clinical trials internationally, particularly in South Africa, but also the UK uh, was part of the warp speed trials in, in the US and lots of international information contributing to the, um, this vaccine, showing it really does have good uh, efficacy, both in terms of the immune response, but also uh, effective in preventing um, symptomatic COVID-19 in, in adults 18 and over. Uh, as mentioned in, in large phase two and phase three um, clinical trials. In terms of why this vaccine is different and, and some people are calling it, you know, similar to our standard vaccines is that it is a, a protein vaccine with an adjuvant. So Matrix M is the name of the adjuvant. This is a new adjuvant that hasn't been used in, in previous vaccines, but um, has um, since this development platform 
with Novavax has been used actually in a malaria vaccine, which the Oxford group had also been leading. So there is now some international use of this adjuvant and, and sort of back to that basic, you know, vaccinology, that ad adjuvant's really important at that um, immune response locally. So stimulating your immune res um, response with that adjuvant, then with the spike protein linked to that in terms of the vaccine. So as you can see, they've used a baclovirus um, system uh, to produce the, the antigen. Um, again, this slide from the Novavax website and the Matrix M is from a purified quinoa saponara molina. So they've used this um, particular uh, plant to then produce that, that matrix. Uh, as mentioned, it doesn't have some of the um, cold chain uh, issues as we had with the mRNA vaccines. Initially, having said that, I think around the country, particularly in, in GPs, are getting very used to using this vaccine. And I know it's been taken up broadly by GPs around the country. So I think really important to discuss this um, with your patients if they haven't yet gone through their primary schedule. There are deliberations about using this as a booster vaccine and, and some of the UK Oxford group studies looked at Novavax in the mix of as using as a booster, but not yet um, provisionally approved by the TGA for that purpose, but is currently being um, deliberated. So hopefully more information soon about use of this vaccine as, as a booster. And in terms of what the deliberations are at Atagi and these sorts of questions, I think this link to the weekly updates is, is helpful. This weekly statement used to focus predominantly on the safety aspects, particularly around uh, the TTS and myocarditis we've discussed briefly in, in this health ed forum. But every week Atagi is still meeting as a full committee and putting up a statement about what those discussions are. So as you can see, Novavax currently being discussed um, by the committee six to 11 now, um, fully uh, provisionally approved by the TGA and um, guidance has come out around that vaccine in that age group and also looking at the rapid antigen tests as proof of infection given we used to be based on on PCR in terms of confirming previous infection and advice so again we'll there'll be details on the website as new statements come up and uh, information available so hopefully that's a helpful place to look if you're um, interested in what those deliberations are and the statements will then uh, follow in in due course. Just before I go on a bit more about the vaccine, I think it is important to look at the case numbers by, by age and gender as we start to look into the vaccine. So you can see here that real peak now in that 20 to 29 year old age group in terms of overall numbers. And we know Omicron as it emerged in late November, early December, really did circulate at high levels in that age group, particularly as we went through the new year um, period. So, and, and the confirmation of, of tests from the rats uh, through the jurisdiction. So very high numbers in those age groups and high numbers also in the under 20s. But again, the, the severity still very different compared to the, the adult data. And the next slide, I'll just show the, um, the deaths. Still very, very low numbers in that, that under 20 uh, age group and um, some of those cases also need to determine, you know, was COVID the, the direct cause of their death or did they have underlying comorbidities and um, treatments that may have um, been related to that? Clearly, once we're over 70, much higher numbers, particularly in the male uh, um, age group. And then clearly, you know, as we go up every decade of life, you know, the proportion of, of deaths is, is still higher. But obviously, protecting with vaccination is, is really crucial here. So I thought it'd be actually really good to pause, as many will have known, that it's actually been a year since uh, the vaccines first um, rolled out and, and this um, uh, media release was actually a donut day um, in Victoria where I am based. So, you know, really important to actually pause briefly and reflect how amazing it is that we actually have these vaccines, how we've been able to bring them into the, the mix um, across the life course, five and over now, have access to a vaccine. 
um, of now a number of different combinations. And um, it's been a pretty amazing 12 months that vaccines have been able to roll out and have the impact that they have, acknowledging the, the broad impacts of the pandemic. I think this is a, is a good milestone to, to reflect on from 2021. And in terms of those that had the first doses in, in Victoria, it was Rhonda Stewart, who um, is now head of the, the South, Southeastern Local Public Health Unit at uh, Monash um, Health and, and a long-term leader in, in infection control and infectious diseases. So she was the first person in Victoria. Many of you might remember this first person who got administered the, the vaccine in, in Australia, not the, the Prime Minister. And I just maybe just get you to pause briefly and think if you can remember the name and the age of this um, individual and we'll come to that at the very end. A little bit of a quiz and you're not allowed to look up uh, your phone on Google to, to try and remember that, but it, it was a, a bit of a funny time having that first person uh, vaccinated um, in Australia. So in terms of the, the paediatric vaccines, I'll now spend a few minutes just taking you through things where things are up to in, the, in this um, space. So as mentioned, it's really the mRNA vaccine. Uh, Pfizer is, is the vaccine five and over, six and over now for Moderna. So we do have two mRNA products. The Novavax vaccine is still predominantly um, for the adults in terms of its licensure is provisionally approved in that 18 plus age group. And as mentioned, it has been looked at as a booster dose. But they have done quite extensive clinical trials in the 12 to 17 year old age group. So this again will be in process. Um, we know that the company has the clinical trial data in this age group and it is going through the regulatory process. So it's possible this vaccine um, will also become available in that adolescent 12 and over uh, age group. As mentioned, Moderna has, has gone through both that TGA and uh, ATAGI approval. Again, the, these studies are predominantly using immune measures. So they're measuring the response of the vaccine, confirming it's the same as 16 to 25 year olds and the vaccines are being licensed. Given the number of cases and severity is, is different in the younger age groups, that's been the measure uh, for these vaccines. So clearly um, important that this vaccine also can roll out to those sites, uh, including um, primary care and, and pharmacists in particular who do have the Moderna vaccine available uh, around the country. As a booster dose, it is still uh, very much just the 18 plus uh, age group at this stage is licensed for Moderna as, as a booster. And as mentioned, FIRES to 11 uh, program, as, as everyone knows, started rolling out from the 10th of January. So I just have a bit of a discussion now about where we're up to with the, the coverage and, and what's happening in, in this space. So I think it is really important to think, you know, uh, as mentioned in those earlier slides, the severity of, of COVID in this age group. We know the main transmission is occurring uh, was amongst those young adults, 20 to 29. There has been some transmission amongst family, but it very much reflects a community transmission. Children can get severe COVID, particularly those that have underlying um, immune uh, conditions do require that third dose. Underlying severe neurological disorders were more likely to end up in hospital and ICU. So we do have some high risk individuals who we recommend um, optimizing protection. And there is this multi-system inflammatory syndrome or pediatric inflammatory multi-system syndrome. Again, lots of acronyms here, but really important to have the vaccine can protect against this serious uh, post-infectious complication. So there is direct protection uh, for this five to 11 age group, but it is a little bit different uh, to what we might see in some of those older age groups as mentioned. So in terms of tracking the coverage, this is just some Victorian data in terms of dose one, um, looking at over, as you can see, 88% for all of the age groups tracking up to around 50% um, pretty quickly in, in that um, five to 11 year age group, but starting to plateau out a little bit. But this is something that's actually been seen 
you know, internationally. So just giving you a couple of um, snapshots of where other countries have got up to. The US very quickly gave us some safety data, which was really important. They've had over 7.2 million have two doses, which is um, more than three times the total Australian population in this age group, but only 25% of their five to 11 year olds. So they're sitting around a 25 to 30% coverage in this five to 11 year old um, age group. Obviously Omicron and, and other components have impacted on that, that as well. Canada sitting very similar to Australia. We've actually tracked quite close to their guidance, similar to uh, this age group. They had some nice data showing that the, the eight-week interval is the optimal interval for, for the vaccine in this age group to both maximise the immune response as well as minimise the risk of things like myocarditis, which again has been very low uh, in this age group as, as expected and, and shown in the US data. They're 27% at the moment in terms of dose two, and obviously that's starting to roll out, I know, through primary care in this age group, and we'll track closely where we get to in terms of those doses. The UK is a little bit behind and they've obviously made some major changes to their restrictions in terms of where they're at in the pandemic. They've been a little bit um, uh, behind in terms of some of those recommendations to younger age groups and on the 16th of February had a broad recommendation for 5 to 11. So we will see some uptake data and impact data I know is now emerging on how well the vaccines are working both in terms of preventing infection but also holding up in terms of um, serious infection or um, hospitalisation, ICU is obviously really important outcomes in, in this age group as, as well as across the life course. So next slide again, moving reasonably quickly through these topics, but I know there's lots of things that are, are common, commonly coming through in terms of discussion. And, and this is a common one in terms of you've had a recent uh, Omicron infection, when can you get the vaccine or what are the current recommendations? And this does vary. And I think it does often need a, a consultation to really talk through what the ideal timing um, might be. Uh, and it may be different if you're chatting to um, someone with regards to that primary schedule in a, in a six-year-old that had a recent infection as their primary course, as opposed to an adult who's already had two doses, now had Omicron and, and drew their booster. So there may be some variation in terms of the timing and those risk factors for that individual. The ATAGI advice has remained consistent and, and hasn't changed that once you've recovered from the infection, it's safe to have the vaccine. So it is appropriate to have the vaccine as you've got to that recovery phase. Um, but if you were going to um, delay, which also may be appropriate depending on the individual discussion, it could be out to four months. And the rationale for that is that it was initially a six month wait. We felt that six months, um, the likelihood of, of um, becoming unwell or reinfected was, was relatively low, but we saw with Delta. So again, it's a timeline of the variant. We know that in, if you had a Delta infection in for November, for example, you weren't particularly well protected from Omicron. So there was a recommendation that that six months was brought back to four months. So if you had a Delta infection, you really needed to get um, that um, booster or your primary schedule to optimise your protection. Now we're sitting in you know, over 98, 99% of the infections are now Omicron can really be an individual discussion around that timing, wanting to maximise that protection um, over the course of the, the year and heading into the winter. So it's appropriate to have that window from a complete recovery out to four months is, is where the advice is sitting and individual advice can be given along those lines. Um, but hopefully that helps clarify where the advice stands at the, at the moment. 
So the other question that, that's coming frequently is what about under fives and, and do we have a vaccine available for the younger age group, particularly those that are in childcare and I know the impact that's had on, you know, the workplace and, and people with young families, um, both trying to manage, you know, working from home and all those components. So the, the vaccine and, and vaccination is definitely about direct protection, but we do acknowledge there's other impacts of COVID on both the family and, and everyone more broadly. So um, there's two different coloured vials at the moment for the, the vaccine. There's going to be a, a need for a third one if, if there is authorization of the vaccine. Um, we've had lots of preprints is the way we get information now, but now a lot of information is coming out from the media releases from the, the companies. And, and this sort of explains where we're up to with the, the Pfizer vaccine in the under fives. Um, whilst initially there was a discussion about this being reviewed by the FDA in the US in, in February, this is now pushed out to around April. And, and that relates to this immune response. I briefly mentioned earlier that they're measuring your immune response in the younger age groups compared to that 16 to 25 year old. And they showed that there was non-inferiority at the six to 24 months. So that's how they broke down the age groups. So that's six months to two years compared to those that are two to, to you know, four years or, or just under five years. And they didn't reach that endpoint um, in that two to five age group. And this is actually looking at a dose that's quite significantly lower than what we've seen for the current dose. So um, just to take you through it, it's 30 micrograms for the adult dose. It's um, 10 micrograms for the five to 11 year olds. And this is three micrograms. So essentially one tenth of that um, adult dose. So hence we're gonna need to make sure we're, you know, that making sure that that's labeled really clearly and people are aware of potential dose errors in these age groups. So this lower dose has just meant that in that, um, two to five years or two to four year age group, they weren't getting the optimal immune response that was expected. So therefore needed to bring in the third dose into that primary schedule for this um, age group, a minimum of two, two months after those first two doses. So this is gonna need a readout, um, a review by the FDA and other pharmacovigilance, you know, groups such as the TGA will look as this data as emerges, but that does mean there has been a delay uh, in the vaccine in the under fives at, at this stage. So in terms of, you know, international deliberations, you know, where are things are, are up to in terms of their vaccines? Um, JCVI, as, as mentioned, has um, looked into the vaccine in, in the younger uh, age group and, and the 5 to 11 um, recommendations, as, as mentioned. They're also um, giving some updates on, you know, where to next in terms of the, the crystal, you know, ball, how many uh, doses are required. We've already talked about the up-to-date status. Um, as per the ATAGI advice in terms of number of doses will vary by your age and your underlying risk factors, such as those that need a third dose due to immunocompromised and then it had a fourth dose as their booster. So starting to get pretty complicated in terms of that individual protection and, and lots of interest around what the next um, steps might be. So in terms of the JCVI, they've come out and said that they're actually recommending a second booster or for the those that have had uh, currently a two dose primary schedule one booster, they are looking at giving a fourth dose or a second booster to the, to the population in the spring or what would be our sort of April autumn time. Um, this is really a precautionary strategy. Again, you can read through that in more detail in terms of their guidance. Um, they're saying it should be around six months after the last um, vaccine dose. So again, it'll depend on the timelines for those that have they received their booster focusing very much back into priority groups. So they've chosen over 75 years as they're cut off those in residential aged care facilities um, and those that are immunosuppressed 12 and over. So they've come out with some pretty clear groups in terms of who they're recommending this um, second booster uh, dose. 
and Israel, which again, many um, on the call will be aware that they've really been at the forefront of, of utilization of the vaccines, came very early and, and uh, had a huge amount of mRNA vaccine roll out very quickly into their population, including younger age groups. And early in January, actually, they came out with a fourth dose recommendation for their group. So those, again, that had a primary schedule of two doses, one booster, and then a third booster. They actually chose 60 and over, so a younger uh, age group as well as healthcare workers. And we're expecting some more data to come out on, on these um, the impact of this vaccine on, on those groups um, in coming months. And this is just one paper that's come out already in, in Nature, again, many may have seen, um, and this is looking at an infection. So I think it's really important when you read these articles is to think, what are they actually measuring? Are they measuring transmission, which obviously for Omicron is, has been much more widespread and, and um, broader than what we'd seen with the ancestral variants, such as the original Wuhan and, and Delta strain. So much more transmissible, but, but less severe as an infection. And then what's the ongoing protection from severe illness, which is hospitalization, ICU and, and fatal cases. So this particular study was looking at protection from infection and essentially only saw a small boost against that. But majority of the vaccines are really holding up well for that severe infection. So particularly that residential aged care facility group as a good example is still looking to be protected with these additional doses. But taking into account all of these different studies is obviously part of those ongoing deliberations. No decisions yet in Australia in terms of where we're sitting with this second booster dose, but clearly an area that's under active um, uh, review. So a couple of slides now just on, on long COVID. Again, lots of you know, interest around um, COVID disease and the severe infection as mentioned in terms of those hospitalizations, but how about some of the other longer term outcomes? And again, you could do a whole talk on, on long COVID, so I won't go through this in a huge amount of detail, but this important paper from Nature just looked at the long-term cardiovascular outcomes. So this is in uh, veterans um, databases in the United States. They look not just at acute presentation, but what happened over the next 12 months when more people than was expected uh, presenting with cardiovascular uh, compromise. And, and this is sort of some of those longer uh, term um, outcomes uh, as opposed to the post-viral uh, infection or things that we've discussed with, um, with other vaccines. So in summary, they, they were showing that they did show a higher um, rate in, in this particular group in this project. So again, there's some limitations of, of how this is analysed, but essentially they did see more ischemic and non-ischemic heart disease, dysrhythmias and other, other issues. And that was even in those who didn't have really clear acute COVID or didn't present for hospitalisation with that initial infection. Again, because we're now doing so many rapid antigen tests or rats, we'll, we'll pick up some of that subacute or milder infection, maybe more so than we were with the PCRs. So documenting this in, in Australia and other international contexts will be really important because we've got to think about not just the acute infection impacts of, of, um, of COVID, but also those longer term outcomes. And then coming back obviously to my strictly around the vaccines is can we actually impact on these longer term outcomes from vaccination and, and this is a, a really nice summary from the um, UK who've looked at the effectiveness of vaccination against long COVID focusing more on that sort of post viral phenomenon but some emerging evidence that it does appear to impact on on long COVID symptoms clearly if you get less severe disease in terms of your cardiovascular and respiratory compromise, you're less likely to have some of those side effects as well as protecting you from other, some of those um, indirect or other effects. We also think will have an, an impact. So again, people starting to document this and, and monitor it really carefully. And this, this rapid briefing from the UK, I think help puts that into, into the frame. 
So what next? This is back to the, the crystal ball, you know, discussion. So again, moving, you know, pretty quickly around where things are, are up to, but this is a, a pictorial diagram of, of uh, what's been termed fluorona or combination of COVID and flu. There have been some cases described in, in Brazil in particular, uh, having both COVID and, and flu vac um, infection, not, not vaccine at the same time. We haven't really seen that to date in Australia, clearly seen very little flu in, in recent times and maybe also doing some limited testing. So we tend to just be doing PCRs at the moment, often for SARS-CoV-2, not across the multiplex looking for flu as well. But I think we'll start to need to think about that as we move particularly into our, our winter. So this really then leads into flu vaccines. And again, I think it's good to talk about a topic, not just COVID vaccines and where things are up to. And you know what's the Northern Hemisphere telling us? So what's happened in the Northern Hemisphere, which has always guide us in terms of infections. You can see here, this is taken from the Flumart or Gizris website where basically 2021 didn't see a season in the Northern Hemisphere. So similar to here, when a real year with no um, cases did start to see a bit of a winter blip. So you can see towards the end of 21, but nothing compared to the 2017, 18 uh, season. So definitely less cases um, seen, but there has been some cases seen in, in the Northern Hemisphere winter. But Africa has been a bit different. There has been some ongoing circulating. Again, you can see on the left-hand side, very low numbers. There's only 150 is sort of the, the peak there. It has been a mixture of, um, you know, H3 and, and um, H1N1, as well as some sort of untyped cases there. But certainly Africa has had some circulating infections. So as our borders start to open, we may well see some of these um, strains start to, to emerge again internationally. And again, just for the, the listeners, it's just, I think, something really interesting of what's happened with the virus and what's happened is we wear masks, we sanitize our hands better. We know both hospitals and, and primary care. We're much better at screening for infections and protecting both healthcare workers and, and our patients. So I think this has had an impact on viruses more broadly, as well as flu and, and bronchiolitis. RSV has also had you know, dramatic change in how it's, um, that the, the um, number of cases is presented. And just to, this is just flagging for the listeners that there is sort of two strains, as you know, in, in the vaccine um, protecting against influenza B because in the late 1980s, they diverged. So there's B Victoria and B Yamagata. Hence, we went from a trivalent to a quadrivalent um, vaccine to try and protect against those two strains of B. And you can see some of the genetic um, differences um, in this slide. But essentially, cut, cutting to the chase, that the virologists think B. Yamagata may actually be extinct. They've seen no cases uh, of B. Yamagata since April 2020. So it is taking us back to that trivalent vaccine. You recall just had two A's and, and one B. So definitely quadrivalent still at the moment, but um, it's possible that B. Yamagata will disappear and we'll need to think about how that vaccine will look. Obviously, people interested also in COVID flu vaccines or being in the one vaccine potentially. So lots of interest around how our vaccines may look moving forward. We're not there yet, but lots of interest in what's happening to these viruses. And just to flu more broadly, again, just one slide from um, led by Chris Blythe and our PEDS network, where we've monitored for flu over a long period of time. So the 2009 pandemic, really high numbers. And you can see 2017, really high numbers. And to be honest, much higher than actually we've seen with COVID, even with um, the different waves in terms of uh, admissions to hospitals. So both the proportion that have gone to, to ICU and the number of cases can be pretty dramatic, like we saw in 2017. So really keen for us to think about how we can minimise the flu burden um, here in Australia, uh, knowing a wave is going to come at, at some point and, and winter is, is um, going to come across, come uh, um, obviously up soon and we want to maximise that protection as we move into our winter. 
So this was flagged in the Atagi statement late last year. People were thinking about travel to make sure they're optimizing their protection against flu. And this has been reinforced in the statement. I'm sure the, the listeners will have seen the latest Atagi statement on flu for this year. Again, really, as I mentioned earlier, trying to optimize that um, protection. Again, lots of different vaccine products depending on their age. There is the um, uh, adjuvanted vaccines and also on the private market, the, the higher dose vaccines for those older age groups to maximize their protection. And we do have vaccines as mentioned in those um, uh, younger ages, still two doses is the first time they're seeing the vaccine if they're eight and under. So similar sort of profile and, and similar risk um, groups are really important to be across what those vaccines and what's available as we move into the 2022 season, which would uh, um, due to, to kick off again in, in April of this year at the formal launch of the program. Again, really important to think about pregnant women and how those that are fully funded for the vaccine, but really trying to maximise um, their protection, which are clearly detailed in, in that advice. Co-administration, really important. So again, um, I'm sure the listeners will recall that last year in 2021, Atagi was advising to separate the vaccines by seven days, then down to three days. Obviously concerns then around any reactions that might occur and ascribing them to either the COVID or the flu vaccines. Much more comfortable now around co-administration. So they definitely can be given on the same day. We want to minimize the opportunities to, to vaccinate. So if you do have people turning up asking for either flu or COVID, they can have um, be offered their booster potentially or their primary course uh, all on the same day. So I think that's um, the recommendation for this year. There are a number of studies underway, both in Australia and internationally, looking at that co-administration and as mentioned, quite a few different combination studies in the pipeline. At the moment, they are two separate vaccines, but can be co-administered on the, on the same day. So now I'm just going to start to, to wrap up. Um, again, just a plug for the Melbourne Vaccine Education Centre. We do have a website that has lots of information around the vaccines, um, as well as frequently asked questions, which I know are emerging. So again, if there are any suggestions or things for the website, we'd be happy to appreciate that, um, that feedback. And again, acknowledging our vaccine safety team, safety co work within Victoria, clearly been a very busy time for the pandemic, I know for everybody, but um, acknowledging the hard work of our team, both in terms of reviewing the cases, Jim Buttry and our epidemiology team have really worked hard to try and understand uh, the vaccine safety side and, and work closely um, with our, our general um, uh, practice and, and primary care colleagues to really try and you know support the, the COVID-19 uh, rollout. And now obviously, uh, also considering the what's calling the business as usual and, and flu and other vaccines as we move into this next phase of the pandemic. And I'll just finish with uh, your quiz. So if, if you did remember the name, her name is Jane Malisak and uh, she was 84 years of age. Um, like a prominent member of the royal family, I think those that are over 80 are now much better, better protected um, from um, SARS-CoV-2 or covid infection. We know that uh, majority will have had at least two doses, hopefully now will have their booster considerations in countries like Israel and the UK in terms of giving them that fourth dose. So really trying to maximise that protection in that group, I think is, is really important. And certainly the, the impact in terms of severity um, of the cases and, and death rates have dropped. But we really want the those who are living in, for example, aged care facilities to also be able to see their family and, and have that quality of life. So 
protecting both the healthcare workers, aged care workers, as well as the community and the broader family has been really important part of the vaccines. As well in putting into the mix, we now have, um, as everyone knows, um, new antivirals, new monoclonal antibodies. We've got a whole plethora of treatments for COVID as well. So we are in a very different place both with regard to vaccines and management of COVID and really yeah, hopeful with that crystal ball that can take us into the next phase of the pandemic. But I'll, um, I'll finish and, and wrap up there and, and thanks everyone for their time. Thank you. Just a quick reminder as we wrap up to encourage you to register for the next webcast where you can always catch a high quality lineup of speakers and topics that HealthEd has put together for you. HealthEd webcasts are carefully created to provide high quality video and audio so that you have the best possible learning experience. It's free, you get CPD points, and it's all delivered directly to the digital device of your choice, wherever you choose to be. Register now at healthad.com.au. You can claim RACGP CPD points for listening to this podcast using the self-claim option. Log into your account on the RACGP website, go to the CPD section and click on self-claim.